I was pretty passionate about this one, right? Because, you know, again, I, I tried to do the right thing, I thought, and, and you know, I faced this backlash, and then it's kind of like, well, come to find out, like, this didn't work the way that folks said it would, and, like, nobody really owned up to it. Welcome back, team. Welcome back to Mops and Mobs. Drew and Alex here, uh, coming at you with another episode. Alex? It's a fun one. It's a guest we tried to get on, or at least I tried to get him on a few times. Used to be a firebrand, writing some heater articles, challenging army positions. But now that he's a lieutenant colonel and stuff, he's trying to be more professional and not rock the boat so much. But Nick Berenger, many of you might know him, friend of the pod. Uh, he got his bachelor's in dietetics from Georgia, followed by a master's in exercise science from Penn West, California, and a PhD in kinesiology from Texas A&M. A fun fact that I did not know until putting together this little bio, but an army.mil article suggests that Nick's first application to be an army dietitian was actually lost due to a filing mix-up. Uh, so before he was an army dietitian, he was a platoon leader at Fort Drum, uh, one of us. One of us. Where he kind of like rose to notoriety, I guess, where he got a lot of attention. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he was the first Ranger regimental dietitian. He arrived there shortly after the establishment of the Ranger Athlete Warrior Program, aka RAW, and had a huge hand in like the nutrition portion of RAW and really bringing RAW to life. He he reportedly during that time also took away fried foods from the Ranger DFAC and replaced fried tater tots with uh, baked sweet potato tots. So it's also good that he went to Sears school because he probably had to rely on the survival and evasion skills to not get murdered by the Rangers for what he did to their DFAC. He's also been a researcher at the U.S. Army Research Institute for Environmental Medicine, where he studied warfighter nutrition in extreme environments. And he's been a professor at both West Point and Baylor, and he is currently still at Baylor, where he oversees the Army Baylor Graduate Program in Nutrition that produces dietitians for the Army. And like you mentioned, we've we've bugged Nick a lot over the months to bring him on. Finally, once he was vindicated with the OPAT news that came out, he decided, you know, and now's a good time. And we appreciate him for that. Thank you, Nick. Uh, we dive into a lot of different things, you know, moving past the OPAT. One of my favorite things to talk about, sort of military fitness culture and the, and the history behind that. Uh, you know, talking about PT tests and what those look like and how they've changed over the years. So uh, a broad sweeping episode, but uh, I think a fantastic one. And it's the the first of a certain style of episode that I hope to have more of coming soon. So Drew briefly touched on the fact that this is about the OPAT. And specifically what it's about is an army audit agency report on whether the OPAT achieved its stated objectives, which were to reduce injuries in initial entry training and to reduce attrition in initial entry training. And this is a good time to plug the website. I will hang that report on the website, or I'll ask my webmaster, Drew, to hang that report on the website. I'll hang it on the website. You'll notice that it's a uh, a like redacted PDF style thing, like it got released by the government, and that's because it did. It was not a publicly available document. It did get mentioned in a report to Congress, they identified the report number and provided like a one or two paragraph summary of it, but we couldn't find the report itself anywhere publicly accessible. And it seemed like something that should be publicly accessible. So I got to do my first attempt at a Freedom of Information Act request, a little bit of a casual hobbyist investigative reporting. 
and it worked out. We got it, and we're going to talk about it. Enjoy. I love the, I love the way you guys do it. I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. We, of we stumbled into everything. We Alex, start no with that sound doing. bit. What he just said. Start with that. <laughs> I'm a fan. <laughs> I'm a fan. No, I mean Alex. Alex knows this because I, I had to. Well, I shouldn't say I had to. Um, I had the I, uh, the privilege of driving to see my in laws in Houston. <laughs> And uh, you know, it's good. They, they know me. Nick's wife um, does not but, listen to this podcast. But, yeah, yeah, my, yeah, she won't. Um, but yeah, so it was like, that's what got me through the drive. I texted it because I'm like sitting in traffic and I've like got you guys on. And like, yeah, it was it was touch and go. I was about to turn around and come back to San Antonio. So I was like, I can do this. Just in another episode of Alex and Drew. I got this. We're almost there. He know. was he was asking me to get more episodes ready to launch to get him through his drive. Yeah. That's what we should <laughs> like, do. Oh. Episodes on demand. You can always call us and throw us on speakerphone. We'll just talk through, you know, issues in today's military. All right, let's do this. Guys, explain to the people, myself included, what well, two things. One, what is the, the OPAT? Two, on paper, where is it supposed to fit in the process of Armying, go. You want you want me to start this one, and then I'll hand it off to you, Nick, for your sure. part of the story where your adventure began with the OPAT. Yes, <laughs> I guess Please. I'll I'll lay some theoretical <laughs> groundwork, which yeah. is that the the OPAT was initially designed as a way to make sure we were bringing in physically qualified recruits in order to reduce injuries and reduce attrition, and as like a subcomponent of that try and assign people to the jobs that were appropriate for their particular level of physical fitness. I think that's the the overall concept is it was a screening tool to help with those things. But around the time it was getting implemented, a, uh, a younger snarkier Nick Berenger had some opinions. So I'll ask him to share what he had to say at the time. Yeah. So this was, uh, I'm going to look like, like 2016. So I think the OPAT, the line was like, it's like the right soldier for the right job. Like, like you were talking about Alex in terms of bringing people in the army. If you wanted to be an 11 Bravo, could you train up to that standard? Uh, and then if you were currently something else and you wanted to transfer over, I think you could at the time they were thinking, okay, you take this assessment and you could transfer to something else. So there was like these different like battery of tests, uh, you know, a medicine ball throw, a deadlift, a broad jump, the 20 meter shuttle run, AKA the beep test. And there were numbers like put with it. Right. I think it was, what was it? I've was got it, it up right black now. Black and gold. Yeah. Black. Oh, I don't have that. Black, gold, silver, maybe. Yeah. Black, gold, silver. So, you know, and, and so yeah. it was a tiered system and it was, it was briefed and it was being brief, like, Hey, this, this is great. And, and it was, it was okay. Now we have this, this physical assessment and I was all for it. But when I was looking at the numbers that were associated with those categories, as I think anyone would who's spent any time in human performance, I was like, wow, those, those numbers just don't seem right. They, they don't see commensurate with the job you're asking those individuals to do. Uh, for instance, like 160 pound deadlift, you know, I, I saw that as, I don't think you can evac a casualty if that's as strong as you are, right? If, if, if 160 pound trap bar deadlift is it, um, I, I don't know if you're going to be able to evac that casualty or particularly in, in, you know, 11 Bravo. So it was more so those standards that I questioned. Um, and I was concerned honestly about like soldier safety, like I'm like, all right, 
you you get in you get the wrong soldier in one of these jobs and they get a evac a casualty or, or do x y and z and alex i can't remember if it was uh the the degroot episode or maybe it was the colonel gist episode there's an episode you talked about somebody from 10th mountain being in this scenario i'm, I'm pretty sure about like where mm -hmm. they couldn't they didn't have the physical strength to evac a casualty so that's honestly the scenario that went through my head so uh, i was sitting at ile at the time uh and i and i had some time on my hands so I wrote a, a paper and I just, I, I basically looked at the research. He wrote quite a paper. <laughs> I, I wrote a paper. I, I, I looked at the research of like, okay, what do these standards mean? So I would, I would go through and be like, all right, who, who can meet these standards? And so like, I found, you know, like 13 year old kids. Oh, I got know, them right. Their average is like a hundred. Yeah. I'll, I'll read them. I'll read them off for you. Ready for this? Yeah. Re read them I'll all read these for off. Me, yeah. Okay. So the assessment, it's a four part assessment, standing long jump seated power throw strength strength deadlift versus a regular an interval run so standing long jump and i love the way that you phrased some of these 12 year old hungarian boys so research quarterly for exercise and sport in 2015 the soldier would be in about the 50th percentile of 12 year old hungarian boys which that was if you Past the minimum or the maximum? That's the maximum. That's the max. That was the maximum. That's, the maximum. that's the scary part of this. this okay. The yeah. Every every minimum. score he mentions in the article is the so maximum. So if you max your standing long jump, you are in the 50th percentile of 12 year old Hungarian boys. The seated power throw. Let's see where that one is. Okay. You, seated power throw makes you elite among nine to 14 year olds. Nine, nine to 14 year old boys and or girls. Yep. Okay. But you did you did say in fairness they used a four pound medicine ball in that study. Soldiers are using four point four pound balls. So let's well, you know, it's a little heavier. It's, that's several that's ounces that's of difference. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh this the strength deadlift. It took thirteen to fifteen year old boys eight weeks of training with a trap bar twice a week to exceed the hundred and sixty pound quote heavy minimum for six reps. Yeah, Not one. to Not far one. exceed six. the maximum. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the interval run. Or the beep test, like you mentioned. Uh, what was this one? 65 years old. You would be considered very good at 65 years old if you hit that maximum. So, yeah, I'll let you guys put a bow on that. This is, I, I, I vividly recall taking the pacer test in like middle school, and you would have been, like, as you cited in here, you would have been categorized as poor among kids right. that age based on maxing it for the OPAT. Well, I, I love how you summarize it. The current standard for combat arms, according to the OPAT, requires you to have the lower body power of a mediocre 12-year-old, the upper body power of an elite 14-year-old, the strength of an average 13 to 15-year-old who works out, and the endurance level of a fit senior citizen. I mean, that if that doesn't scream super soldier, I don't know what does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was... It was, it was concerning. It was, it was concerned. I mean, I, you know, we, we laugh, but I was literally like worried, you know, that, that, that we're really setting ourselves up for failure uh, in terms of, of setting these standards. And so that's, and I just felt like maybe folks who are briefing it to those in the room, like, like if I brief, you know, you need to jump so many meters or you need to reach something on a shuttle run. The people that were receiving the brief couldn't, quantify it they couldn't you know because they never done it they, they hadn't done these assessments kind of like alex said i mean he he had done the pacer test so he's like oh yeah i remember that but if you've never done these tests and i just throw these numbers at you in a briefing you're like oh yeah okay roger that sounds good but but so that was why like i really 
you know, kind of inspired me to write it was, no, I wanted like senior leaders to read this and be like, are you sure you want to set this as the standard? Because, because this is what it means. So, so did people read it? Did it get much attention? <laughs> Got a little bit of attention, a little bit, <laughs> a little, just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, not the attention I thought though, not the, you know, I, and this just shows how naive I was. I thought people, it would get the attention of like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is a problem. We need to do something about these standards uh, where really most of the attention was like, I can't believe a major dare, you know, throw rocks at the throne, right? <laughs> like, like who is, who is this major? Who's this dietitian? And, and why does he think he can write this? And so honestly, that was, that was the response, you know? Well, and, and they mentioned that in the, the piece in foreign policy that we'll put in the show notes too. And I'll drop the quote that the guy uses because he, he mentions you're probably like the 20th person to have brought this yeah. up in sort of the history of physical fitness in the military. And he says, the problem is that nobody cares. And that's the part I want to kind of hang on for a second, because I think you just sort of mentioned it. It's like, everybody knows the standards are sort of all over the place slash slipping. And it's like, they don't care. Yeah. They, they care more about being contradicted. Right. So, so, you know, people for, for better or worse, maybe with good intentions, I don't know, you know, it was like, Hey, this is this pretty package. This is our solution. It's going to say, it's going to save us uh, dollars on injuries. It's going to get the right soldier in the right job. It's going to do all these great things. And you brief this and then it's like, well, somebody comes with this, this information that's contrary to what you've been briefing this whole time. And they were quite upset about that. Right. Um, and, and that was what was kind of interesting to me, the, the kind of rebuttals I received. Nobody rebuttaled the numbers. Nobody said, oh, no, you didn't look at the data right. It's not Hungarian boys. It's, it's this or that. Or, or no, 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 no. Senior citizens are actually this, but, you know, they're more fit here. Nobody ever argued against my numbers. Not one person. It was all that, well, did, did, did you get PAO clearance to write this first? <laughs> no, no, I'm serious. That was, that was, that was what they hit me with. And they're like, well, you know, it, it, it talks about your, your background and education uh, that can be seen as an endorsement, you know, from, from the army and, and these, these different things. When, when it says, if you look at the article, it says, Hey, it is opinion. It's an opinion piece. I wrote it in, in the opinion section mm -hmm. of uh, military times. It was, it was my opinion. Was it an educated opinion? I like to think so. Maybe that could be argued, <laughs> but uh, you know, that was the issue was that, an army officer like went against the grain. Right. And, and so, and I'm sure, you know, you guys with what you're doing, changing the fitness culture, you've, you've received some of that. For Certainly once or twice. Covered. Yeah. Once or twice, you, you know how it is. And, and that's, what's it, it's, it's sad, but, but that's why I love talking to you guys is it's, it's motivating to see there's other like, like men minded individuals and you've taken it to another level in terms of like with this show, because this is reaching a lot more than a, you know, any article I ever wrote did. So, well, to be well, clear, so I'll, I'll provide a tiny bit of context. The, the follow-up piece in foreign policy that Drew mentioned uh, was written by Tom Ricks. And if, if people are not like giant nerds like myself, they might not know who Tom Ricks is or like what it means that Nick got somewhat profiled by Tom Ricks. Tom is a well-known critic of all things like military industrial complex that's going on. Like he will hold people's feet to the fire he will challenge some of these issues. Um, and there's, uh, there's like a sensitive issue there, right? Like people like 
it can be seen in a negative light to be associated with Rick's work, depending on where you are and who he's criticizing it, that the fact that this got attention from him and was like carried in foreign policy and things like that, (laughs) it, it definitely got noticed and it got noticed probably more broadly than most of what we're doing here to be clear. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I don't know about that, but now to be fair, so Tom, it was Tom Rick's, uh, what do I want to say? Like box for information, but mm-hmm. Jim Gormley was actually the, the author of that, okay. uh, mm-hmm. that piece in foreign policy. It was like, but, but it's Tom Ricks's normal section, but I oh, I Jim, see that you're right. Yeah. yeah. Gormley was, was, uh, in there. Cause he typically writes about fitness and stuff, but either way, like there was a tweet, Tom Ricks tweeted out the, the military fitness articles. And I will, I did take that as win. Cause I'm, I'm like you, Alex, I'm a big nerd. I've read fiasco. I've read, you know, Tom Ricks's work. And so, I, I really, I was like, oh man, that was, you know, initially I was like, that is awesome. But then to your point, then I started getting more emails after he sent it out and I was like, <laughs> oof, I might get fired. Yeah. So, <laughs> some of the emails started coming to your work account and they started coming from people with a little oh, bit of rank. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. So well, I, yeah. there we're in a second, we're going to fast forward to why we're recording this episode now, several years later. <laughs> yeah. But, but before we do that, are you willing to talk a little bit about kind of like the professional consequences? Cause you've, oh, you've yeah. managed to go on and like do some awesome stuff. You're and, still employed. We should and, add. <laughs> and the reason you brought up the points was for the benefit of the army. You wanted to make the army better. That was your a clear intent with trying to talk about an issue that you saw. Right. Right. And that was, and that was it is like, I was really worried about, you know, uh, the consequences of setting those standards low. So, so there was, yeah, there, there was some, some blowback. There were talks of counseling and all this other stuff that luckily, like I was like, Hey, it was an opinion piece. And, you know, I, I kind of was able to, to hold that up of, 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 you know, kind of freedom of speech, if you will. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a little, yeah, it was a little, little dicey in terms of like, you know, all of a sudden awards got downgraded and things, you know, there were some things that, that went on. I, I think luckily um, there were people that read it and agreed with me. Right. They, they weren't, you know, they weren't going to necessarily jump out in, in front of the fire line, but like they, they kind of had my back. And so um, I, I think that that helped out. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that it was, it was disappointing um, in terms of that folks weren't concerned about the standards. They were concerned about either the appearance or that my article maybe made them look bad, right? Because if you're the people that held this up as like, hey, this is going to fix our uh, our injury issues. And then you see that piece, you know, and then that, that you know, g- general officer you just briefed reads that piece and they're like, well, wait a minute. And you can't rebuttal that. You can't say, oh, no, he was wrong because X, Y, and Z you know, the next thing you can do is just be like, well, we, we got to destroy him. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strategy and in hindsight, I should have saw it coming, but, uh, but luckily I, I, you know, I lived and I'm, I'm here today to, you know, tell the tale. Still but, riding his Peloton. Still, still riding my wife's Peloton <laughs> in the back. Living the dream, living the dream. So what, what do you think, Drew, is now the time to, to bring us up to date on what's come out since. Yeah, let's do it. So I'll let you, well, give the people the, the context for your, your first freedom of information act move. Yeah. My, my first, but already not my only. So no, we'll he, have, once he we'll got started, more, he has not stopped. <laughs> yeah. We might have some more Good investigative journalism in the near future. We'll <laughs> see. Awesome. But this was my first, it gave me a good reason to. 
so after Nick wrote his article, the OPAT still got implemented as discussed with the standards we just identified that happened in 2017. And like we said, the goal was to reduce attrition and injuries. Um, and we didn't hear much about it from that point until like a year ago, at which point the DOD inspector general's semi-annual report to Congress for 2021 came out. And in it, there's a brief, just a couple paragraphs uh, describing an army audit of the OPAT, finding it didn't achieve those outcomes at all. In fact, the problems with injuries and attrition continue to rise at an almost identical rate to the rate they were rising prior to the implementation of the OPAT. Unfortunately, and a little bit frustratingly, the, the whole report digging into that was not available publicly. So that's where I got to get my feet wet a little bit with some citizen journalism stuff. Um, submitted a quick FOIA. And if people aren't nerdy enough to really care, but it's a Freedom of Information Act request. And basically, you have to justify that the information is in the best interest of the public to better understand the processes of the government and all of these things. Um, and they were they were pretty cool about it. They actually did respond within the timeline they're supposed to and all that stuff. And they provided the whole report. Um, the only stuff they redacted was like point of contact information for people who aren't senior leaders just to protect their privacy um, standard procedure kind of stuff. And there's there's honestly not that much mind-blowing stuff in the report that wasn't already in the congressional thing. Like there's there's nothing that completely changes the story. Um, there's there's those two main takeaways. Um, that the the OPAT assessment levels do not significantly differentiate between increasing levels. And in fact, on average, soldiers exceed the highest level. So it's not a great test if it's not really parsing out who's who there. And then they identify that the Army didn't have any kind of oversight process to monitor OPAT implementation. And then I will I will highlight a couple comments that are like much deeper in the report that they seem to gloss over pretty briefly, but I will come back to them because I think they're more important than the Army Audit Agency might have thought. Um, but one is trainees report that the OPAT is not being administered to standard, not administered at all, or was so unremarkable or undervalued that they don't remember taking the test. Um, we will we will come back to that because some people who follow Mobs and Mo's might have noticed I asked to talk to recruiters a few weeks ago. Um, you guys responded fantastically. I got to talk to like roughly a dozen recruiters who all had various thoughts. Not all, all of them were exactly the same, but it was it was good to get the feel of the the organization there. And then the last one stood out to me because this has come up with ACFT stuff before was that the scores were never designed to be enduring. It was just supposed to be initial operational capacity, and surely eventually we will raise the standards. Uh, that of course did it not happened. happen. Well, here let me. I'll I'll. For the benefit of the audience, I'll read the what they audited and then what they found, and then we'll dive into the weeds. So you touched on this a little bit, and, and we already hit on this. The intended goal of the OPAT is to improve readiness and accession quality by decreasing injury and attrition rates. And we talked about the four events. Um, they did the audit to determine if it achieved those intended outcomes, and then they also added the piece about whether or not uh, or, or the, the gender-neutral aspect of the test. And then what they found was that it did not achieve intended outcomes of reducing physical training injuries and associated attrition rates. It was implemented in calendar year 17. However, physical training injury rates in calendar years 14 through 19 increased by an average of about 3% and associated attrition rates increased by an average of about 1.6%. So that in terms of the kind of overview at the beginning of the report, that's what they audited and then what they found. So 
Well, I'll hand it back to Nick here because basically what they found is all of the stuff that Nick said years <laughs> was ago. Was true. <laughs> and you know, I never got that apology letter. I was waiting for some of the it's people. In, that it's, come coming. With, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It'll it's, it'll it's show coming. up. Yeah. It'll, it'll well, you know, actually, I want to back up and say the fact that Alex had to do a Freedom of Information Act for this, for, for fitness testing information. I mean, that that's that kind of shows, uh, you know, something right that, that this isn't something that you'd want to put out to make the, you know, the army's a whole better to be like, hey, we tried this test. It didn't work. Let's learn from it versus bury it in a report that you've got a request. Um and I think why why that kind of occurred, because I, I did pull an article. I don't know, Alex, if maybe you guys, Drew, had this one. But, um, you know, there was an article, what is this, 2018, July 2018, OPAT reducing training attrition, avoiding millions in wasted training dollars, mm-hmm. officials say. Did not this catch that a, one. This was no. a dot mill article. And, and this was a mm-hmm. quote. It said, we're saving over a thousand trainees a year. So, and, and that could be, and so for each trainee, he's saying it costs $50,000, a general, a general figure for the trainee who fails to complete training using that number cost avoidance of the army could be 50 or yeah, $50 million or more each year. So this was a army dot mill article. Well, let me ask you, cause I have that in front of me now. You guys can clarify this for me because this guy says that OPAT obviously is increasing our capability. And then he says there was no physical assessment prior to OPAT. So is he saying that there was no PT test in the military prior to the OPAT? There there was like a 50-50-50 APFT standard, like a, a slightly lower APFT you had to meet. And then like it eventually by the time you got to your first unit, you had to like actually pass okay. the APFT. But it, it was basically assumed that all that would take care of itself in basic training for the most part. But what's what's really thrown me for a loop here is I had not seen the article that Nick just cited, but it it very directly contradicts with something in the army audit, exactly. which is that the, the audit said that they weren't actually monitoring it during the implementation. Like they weren't, they weren't tracking results. They weren't, there was no like quarterly thing. So I want to know where, where they were getting those numbers from in the first place. <laughs> yep. It, yep, yep. The audit report says they were relying on like a longitudinal study of it. That was like a longer term thing. There, there's no way they would have had, really anything to go off of at that point what percentage yeah, of statistics Alex, are made up is like 60 <laughs> percent. hey well this is why i wanted to share that because now you see why you had to do that freedom of information act. uh because yeah so so that's my thing is like what happened in if if in 2018 you're saving a thousand trainees per year right and you're saving all this money you're reporting this that th- that this is happening and and this was on well, this is on like army.mil, right? This, uh, this article, you're saying it's happening. And then what did that, that the paper said it ran from 2017 to 2019 and they found numbers actually in, increased in terms of entry. Mm-hmm. Like somebody's numbers. I will summarize. So it is highlighted in purple at the top of that article on army.mil. Fewer recruits are now dropping out of initial military training, preventing the army from wasting millions in training dollars, said the army senior enlisted advisor. Click over to the report. And the first thing that they found, like I just said a while ago, let me scroll back down to it. Attrition increased by an average of 1.6%. So it's just not correct. (laughs) I will say the the best thing to come out of this report, frankly, is that I've 
I've tried to get Nick to come on the podcast before <laughs> and he has declined um, due to the sensitivity of our content style. But this is the one he comes on for. The, the vindication of this was enough. Oh yeah, the... I'm 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 petty. No, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's what it shows. I'm I'm petty. No, I mean this was Alex knows because he's he's listening to me. I mean I was pretty passionate about this one, right? Because you know, again, I, I I tried to do the right thing. I thought, and and you know, I faced this backlash, and then it's kind of like, well, come to find out, like this didn't work the way that folks said it would, and like nobody really owned up to it. You know, so yeah. And I think not to like, I mean, this is very much to go down the same rabbit hole we go down all the time. That's why the, the whole platform is called Mops and Mo's. But I think there's a Mops and Mo's conversation here of what did the army actually want, right? Because at the at the end state, like which are they going to care about more? Like OPAT compliance and making sure it's implemented correctly and has the effect they wanted to have or meeting your recruiting mission. And like, especially in today's environment, we know, like what it's what it's probably like for recruiters out there struggling with all this stuff, how they're evaluated. You're not you're not evaluated on how rigorously you enforce OPAT standards to make sure people don't get injured. You're evaluated on how many people you put in boots. And like you have to keep that in mind as you look at any of this stuff. And up to and including ACFT stuff and like all the things we're dealing with is that. There are, there are multiple incentive structures in place. And I think this is going to sound pretty cynical of me, but don't look to what people say to figure out what they care about or what they prioritize. You got to look at the incentive structures they put in place because those are the things they're going to get. Well, I will say, because they mentioned it here, and I think to give credit perhaps to the whole idea of the structured tests to include the ACFT. I'll even throw the OPAT in there, even though the results might show otherwise. Like, I think undoubtedly, and the quote is that the goal is to get 18 to 20 year old, 18 to 24 year old people more focused on physical fitness instead of showing up on day one and saying, Oh my God, I have to do a push up. I think to the credit of testing, you certainly cannot, I would think, have an eye towards a military career and not at least acknowledge the fact that you do need to train. Well, so I think that is sort of a check in the box of, okay, mission accomplished. But then you get into the follow-on conversation of like, why are the standards so low? What do we do about that? Is it because we want freak athletes or because we want to get, like you mentioned, so many people in boots joining the military? I, I Like that to me is the nuanced conversation. And I think kind of the the hornet's nest that Nick decided to kick so many years ago. And I think I'll I'll point out one here, and this will this will come up again as I talk about what I heard from recruiters across the force because I had some really good conversations the last few weeks, um, and it's it's something I've advocated for for a long time. But the the Marine Corps evaluates recruiters differently than the Army does. The Army evaluates recruiters based on how many people ship, and they stop tracking after that. It doesn't matter whether they graduate basic training, doesn't matter whether they graduate AIT, any of that stuff. Marines do bicep circumference, right? Probably, but, uh, but the, the foundational thing they do, that's really cool is recruiters don't get credit for a recruit until that recruit finishes their training pipeline and, and goes into their job. And there's, there's an extra couple layers too. I've heard instances of like a recruit being like honor grad and they flew the recruiter out to like witness them graduate and like all sorts of cool stuff where the, the culture and the incentives are set up to reward the things 
that they're trying to get, right? Because I think I think the army really does genuinely want fewer soldiers to get injured and lower attrition rates and all of those things. But we haven't like figured out a structure that incentivizes those appropriately. And I think there's ways to get there. I think there's things we could discuss implementing that would would help make people out there and like really the people that are put in the toughest position of this whole thing are the recruiters, right? Like it's, that's a hard job to do and you're going to do what it takes to get evaluated positively. So you can move on with your career and we could, we could set up incentives that encourage them to put the right people in boots and set those people up for success. Even things as simple as our national guard audience will appreciate this, but the national guard has way lower initial anti-training attrition than either the active component or the reserve. And there's, there's only one real difference. And that difference is RSP recruit sustainment program. They have a dedicated physical training and like prep for basic training thing that they go through with their recruits to make sure they're set up for success. And those recruits see fewer injuries and they see better performance and all those things. And it's, it's probably not an accident that that looks a lot like the Marine Corps pulley training and those things work. But do you think it's because the Marine Corps is smaller? Yeah. I I've heard that argument. I've heard it a ton and it's probably true to a certain degree. The the flip side of it, and this came from one of the recruiters I talked to is that the per recruiter mission for Marine Corps recruiters is higher. Like they, they have fewer, like the ratio is actually working against them even more. I think what they do have, frankly, is a, a really good culture and everybody yeah, sees I was gonna it say culture. make it well known mm-hmm. and their marketing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. come on, like, okay, yeah. hey, I'm an army guy. I watch those Marine commercials and like, I, I sometimes think about it. I'm like, man, maybe I should have been the guy with the sword and the dragon Yes, and the, oh man, yes. the few. The pro- oh, come on. We got Marines that listen to this. We got Marines that follow the page. Shout I out say, Marines. Like we, we don't often give you guys a ton of credit. There's plenty of rivalry, all that good stuff. But like the, the, the commercial culture stuff, the recruiting oh, stuff, yeah. you guys Best uniforms, over. best uniforms too. Yeah, yeah, no, they're pretty short. I would say, yeah, credit credit where it's due. But I do, I mean, sure, because I mean, you mentioned the National Guard thing too. I mean, again, a smaller, like I just think that when you allow for more, um, and maybe this sounds cheesy, but like the recruiter can put a little bit more care into each one of the folks that they recruit. Because I think a component to this whole OPAT thing is like, and really any test with lower standards is like, because the numbers are where they're at, you have to meet them. And I don't know, maybe this is a talking point, maybe not, but like as a civilian and as somebody who I would think is somewhat analytical, like you hear all these things about recruiting crisis, we're not getting enough people, but simultaneously you're living in a world where like the people we do have are suffering for effective services, effective funding, blah, 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 blah. So it's like, what if we just had a smaller, more lethal force, which I realize takes this in a completely different direction, but then it allows for higher standards, better testing, you know, better, blah, 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 blah. I don't know. It just seems like this weird dichotomy that nobody really touches on. Because if you're forced to hit a high number, you're going to have to have 12-year-old Hungarian boy standards because otherwise you're not going to be able to recruit all the 12-year-old Hungarian boys and you're going to miss your mark for the number of soldiers that you need. It's a challenge because like, I don't know, this is this is one for like our strategists at a much higher level to talk about people who like better understand the dynamics of like large-scale ground warfare large-scale combat operations whatever it is i i mean on a personal level i would love to be part of like a smaller leaner force with higher standards and stuff that sounds great to me but like armies 
imply large forces. So it's tough. Do you want to touch on the piece that you mentioned about, what did you say? The, the MOS is assigned prior to taking the OPAT. Yeah. So this is, I guess we'll, we'll transition here to all the things I learned by talking to a bunch of recruiters. And some of these are extremely interesting and I will, I'll actually lay one out first because it rattled me and then we'll go into the other ones. You guys have taken pacer tests, beep tests, army aerobic interval run tests, whatever you're familiar with the rules. The The standard version of it I've always seen says once you fail two shuttles, that's it. OPAT's a little different. By standard, you mean the one in the research that they actually... Yeah, guess. the way it's always done, like everywhere. The OPAT, it's if you miss three. That's when you're done, which shouldn't be a huge difference because if people like know how the test goes, even if you miss it, you still have to finish that shuttle and catch up again, right? So you had to speed up pretty significantly to catch up. For folks that don't know what the beep test is, it's cones set a certain distance apart and then you play a recording and you have to hit a cone with the beep and then the beeps get closer and closer together. So obviously you're getting faster and faster and faster. And the further you get down this road, you know, the more aerobically fit you are. So carry on. Yep. And, and traditionally you get a warning if you miss the line at one beep. And then if you miss the next line, you're done. But if you catch up again, you get to keep doing the test until you get two flags again. Um, OPAT by standard, you get three warnings. And I, I did dig into this a little bit and the, the language of the OPAT standards has changed. The, the current standard is better written. It's much more explicit about how it works. The old standard that was in place during the period of this study was was fairly vague, just vague enough that you could interpret barracks lawyer style that when you miss a shuttle, it never said you had to finish the shuttles you miss, which could be interpreted as you could skip two out of every three shuttles and keep going. And I have, and like recruiting is a land of like just meeting the requirements to make sure you can do it, right? And I have like heard from recruiters about like that loophole getting briefed to them as a way to make sure people can get through the OPAT. Cause we, we already addressed that most people pass it at the black standard and stuff, but the most men. the one where people, the, the one where people struggled the most was the interval aerobic run, the beep test. Um, and like anecdotally from talking to recruiters, that's also the one people struggle with most across the field. So like, I'm, I'm having a hard time. Cause I, I do, when, when I was teaching master fitness trainer, we also had the interval aerobic run test as part of the initial assessment when you come to the course. And as people who listen to this are aware, I'm a, a bit of an asshole and I would call people out because people would attend master fitness trainer and drop out of the interval aerobic run before the minimum OPAT standard, before the minimum OPAT standard. It happened not a ton of times, but like somewhere in the neighborhood of like a half dozen to a dozen times over the course of the time I was there, people who were supposed to be master fitness trainers could not meet the minimum standard to join the army. As a what, what happens with the beep? To, I've seen this happen because I've done this with all kinds of different sports and whatever, like people will push until the first person quits. And then once the first person quits, <laughs> you will see just a cascade of people because I mean, yes, it gets harder. And it is one of those tests where it is arguably kind of volitional failure, but like the mental switch that happens when the first guy fails, is fascinating. Oh, my, my best beep test of all time was because there was a special forces Lieutenant Colonel also taking the test. So he is significantly older than I was. I was a young captain at the time. 
no damn way am I dropping out before a lieutenant colonel. So I, I went way farther on that. I had taken one like the week prior and I went like multiple levels farther just because I was not (laughs) quitting before this guy. He was fast though. He was in really good shape. All right. I I see Nick nodding along and smiling. I'll, I'll lay other stuff out until he interjects one that blew my mind. And this is in terms of incentives, right? Like we talked at the very beginning of what is the point of this? And it's the right soldier for the right job, right? The whole idea is you screen them physically and then you can assign, you can decide what MOS is appropriate for them based on their physical fitness level. One would assume then that the OPAT is proctored before the MOS is selected. That is not the case. Universally from every, (laughs) a lot of things I heard from drills were a little bit conflicting. They had slightly different experiences in different recruiting stations as one might expect. What, what was told to me universally is that the, the OPAT is always like basic in, in every case that mattered, right? The OPAT was done after they've selected their MOS, after they've been to maps, after they've signed their contract, after they've like signed a contract that has tied bonuses to them getting the MOS they have agreed to. And if the OPAT score they get suddenly makes them ineligible for that, it means their contract is getting renegotiated and, or it's going to be what's called a future soldier loss somebody who came in with the intent to serve and then backed out of serving. And that is something that it was made clear to me in some of these conversations that recruiting stations will avoid at all law, at all costs. You do not want a future soldier loss. So we've set up this weird situation where the thing that was designed to screen people into appropriate jobs is being used as a check the box after they've already selected their job and signed the contract for it. Yeah. You know, I, I wonder though, too, like, and maybe I'm, I'm disconnected. Like the, the standard's so low. I, I wonder, is it, is it, you know, are, are people really failing it in terms of that? I'm sure there's, there's, there's some, but I, I mean, you know, the, those minimums, um, like, even if you look at the, the, what was it? It was the, I can't remember what it was called. Make sure I get it right. The development of the occupational physical assessment test for combat armed soldiers, like the original thing from October 2015. And they had a bunch of different tests that didn't make it to the OPAT, one of which was the upright pull. So it's like a pull ergometer. So probably closest to the deadlift. When they took the. Is that the chain combat, thing? Yeah, the, the chain thing where you. Yeah, stand people, who've, and you people who've done the like Army Wellness Center battery of tests may have done it as like a test of lower back strength. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, that, that would probably be what I'd say is closest. They had that squat lift with the dumbbells as well. So they had those two in there. So those are probably the closest to the deadlift, right? They ended up being 160. The, the mean, the average for combat armed soldiers when they did this test was they were pulling 323 pounds. The fifth percentile, the lowest fifth percentile was 235 pounds. So, so it was, I mean, we're talking, this was combat armed soldiers. And even like for the squat lift, which was two dumbbells, I think they went up to, uh, what was it? Two, 220, I think was the, so the like, max. They're cracking out 110 pound dumbbells. Yeah. yeah. 110 pound dumbbells. Right. Like even that, the lowest, the mean was 215 pounds. The, the, the fifth percentile was 180. To, so, to put the the upright pull thing in context for people who are just like trying to frame those numbers up a little bit, because those sound pretty heavy. Like those are fairly decent deadlift numbers. You're, you're pulling from a more upright position. So it's like farther into the deadlift movement and it requires 
a, a lot less technique. It's an isometric. You're just pulling against a chain that's connected to a scale. It's like rack uh, so pull. You can probably, rack pull yeah, it's like a rack pull. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I guess my point is that like, these numbers were so much lower than what the average is like out yeah. there that like it should be pretty pretty easy to hit. I, I don't know. One, one would imagine, and talking to all those recruiters, the general consensus was, yeah, most people did fine. It wasn't like a super big concern. Um, but that that did vary recruiter to recruiter and recruiting station to recruiting station. I did get one quote that scared me a little bit. Um, and this was mostly relating, so that every, every recruiter agreed that if people were going to struggle with an event, it was almost always the beep test followed by the deadlift. Um, it was like never anything else. But but one guy said, and I'm going to quote this word for word. I'm not going to attribute any of this because none of these guys wanted to be named. Um, I, I don't. I wonder why. But uh, but, and I quote: I can probably count on one hand in the three years I've been recruiting that I've seen a future soldier pass easily. Wow. Okay. At at standards that you have identified as being pretty achievable for like. Wait, they haven't the seen someone 13, pass easily? They, Yeah, it is extremely rare for this particular recruiter. I don't know where they are and what demographic they're dealing with. So not pass this it. particular recruiter, they, they were saying like everybody struggles. On the OPAT. Mm -hmm. The 12-year-old Hungarian boy OPAT. I mm -hmm. guess we need to go to, to Hungary. That's where yeah. we need to recruit. Maybe that's really? what we're taking for this. <laughs> Yeah. So that, but that's what I'm scared about is that like, yes, the standards are low, but they're, but, high. but yes, we are still putting people in uniform who struggle with them. Like it's not widespread as we've seen. Most people do fine. It's, it's not a high bar, but like we're, the incentives are in place to make sure that recruiters are going to like use the loophole on the beep test to make sure they can get through and, the, the event on the OPAT that correlates the best with injury risk is the beep test, which is the one that gets failed the most and the one they sneak around the most. You're setting people up to get hurt. Yeah. No, I was I was looking. So for the beep test, for, for the original assessment where they looked at combat armed soldiers, 67 or no, no, 64, pardon me. 64 was the mean average number of shuttles. That's way above. Was the, was the lowest uh, fifth percentile, 43 was the lowest 10th percentile. Cause what was it? 47 shuttles. Now I can't even remember. Uh, 43 black 43. So, so 43 was the, the lowest, uh, yeah, it was the 10th percentile in 2015 of the current soldiers in combat arms that they tested. So, so the average, yeah, the average could get, you know, around that 64 mark. Um, the upper 25% was like 75 shuttles and up. Right. So, so basically we're saying that and I, I have like decent confidence in that study because there's nothing at risk like politically when you do that study, right? right? So I'm, I'm not as worried about it. But we're basically saying that the the entry standards of our like young, theoretically fit kids who are going to go off and join the army, put them somewhere in the bottom five to 10-ish percent of current soldiers. Yes. Yeah. Would you say that that then, train up. would that then explain the increase in injury rates further along down the pipeline. I mean, one could draw that line and I will say anybody who's witnessed it knows this. People do get dramatically fitter during initial entry training dramatically. Um, what I, I routinely cite some of the initial entry training studies, people you'll hear a lot in like bodybuilding circles that you can't build muscle and lose fat at the same time. 
uh, I've got proof that that's false and it's called basic training. Cause like on average, people who go to basic training, both build muscle and lose fat at the same time. And they're not on like a magical supplement stack and hitting the weights all the time. They're just the being liver. physically they're eating, active. They're eating liver and adhering and, to the yeah. nine primal. Yeah. It's, <laughs> <Tenet. and ancestral. laughs> yeah, it's, it's the nine well, ancestral tenants. No. Well, well, I, I could say that it's, they're so detrained. Like, yeah, you can do that. I mean, it's like, we all probably started when we were lifting, uh, you, you could, you know, uh, get stronger every week, you know, or every couple of weeks. And then once you get to a point in your training, you know, it's very hard to, to continue that progress. And so, you know, it could be just partly some of these kids, it's their first time training. So yeah, they can gain muscle and, and lose fat and do all that. Um, where it'd be more hard for like an advanced individual. Yeah. But we, it is, it is probably it's relatively, it's re yeah. probably relatively safe to say that even if kids are entering basic training in the bottom five to 10%, that by the time they get through, assuming they get through initial entry training and don't attrit yeah. during initial entry training, which is what the, the real risk we're trying to address here is, assuming they get through, they probably arrive at their first unit significantly fitter, probably a little bit leaner, probably a little bit more muscular, probably a little bit stronger, probably a little bit faster than when they entered when they went through MEPS or when they arrived at basic training. So there's, there's hope, right? <laughs> Have they, because towards the end of this, you know, they, they have the recommendations and then the command comments from TRADOC and there's a couple of dates here. And I'm just curious if you guys have heard like May, 2021, July, 2021, in terms of increasing the standards, um, establishing baseline injury nutrition data, have, has any of that happened? Not, not to my knowledge. I saw, uh, I don't know if it's an outer act, whatever, but now to switch MOSs, they're no longer using the, they're using the ACFT. Hmm. I just, I, I saw a message. I'm, I'm pretty sure I didn't dream that up, but I, yeah, I think I saw, and I could kind of see that happening, right? Like, I mean, well, cause sense. now that you have the eight, cause it, cause this was pre ACFT to be fair. Mm -hmm. Right. So, mm -hmm. so now that you have the ACFT, I don't really see why you have an OPAT almost like you could, you could use the ACFT. What do you think, Alex? I mean, it makes sense to me. I, I foresee all sorts of obvious complaints of like recruiters not wanting to have to like put recruits or future soldiers through that because it's logistically hard. And now they have to find a patch of turf or grass. And like the same thing everybody complained about when the ACFT came out initially. This is okay. I brought this up with Dave, the group, and I'll ask it to you guys or bring it up to you guys because the other article that I have up here that I haven't told anybody about is World War II GI fitness standards. And the test, the test. <laughs> this is a hill that I will die on because the test that they had to take consisted of pull-ups, squat jumps, push-ups, sit-ups, and a 300-yard shuttle. For all the listeners, Drew idolizes vintage military fitness stuff. I don't know if it's vintage military fitness stuff or just like objectively dominating on the battlefield. We seem to have done that in World War II. <laughs> is there a case to be made that the tests that we used in that day and age to say, hey, you're good to go or you're not, I don't know. I, again, I'll, I'll play the dumb civilian card here, but like, it seems like we're really overcomplicating things. Tell me I'm wrong. Alex, I'm, I'm sorry. I got to go. No, with I, I don't think I you're going to hear arguments from either of us here. <laughs> I, I wrote an article about this that was said your grandfather could kick your ass in 2014. And it went over those, those standards because it was like the, what was it? Poor was six pull-ups. Yeah. Poor. That's, that's, to get into the 75th Ranger Regiment now, you need six pull-ups. Poor was considered six pull-ups. What was it? Maxing was 20. 
Show me how many souls you get. They had some of the more realistic testing too. They had like monkey bar stuff and clearing a trench stuff and throwing for accuracy and. Well, even those manuals, like the the fitness manuals, they were like all encompassing. There was a lot of movements. It was calisthenics. It was gymnastics. Now, now to be fair, I'm going to have to go back. This requires reading some of the like history of army fitness stuff or history of military fitness stuff. I don't know. A lot of those tests were not universal, right? They were like being used in certain parts of the army and not other parts of the army. And there was a lot of politics about standardizing on one test. And it's not, there was not like this golden era once upon a time where everything was perfect, but I do like a lot of that stuff. It is, it is simple. It is relevant. It is effective. I do. And, and I will, again, we'll stay in this vintage rabbit hole here for a second because we talk about La Sierra high school. I was, I was going to bring up La Sierra I if you didn't. Gonna, I, I will bring it up because I, I think I posted this. I mean, I don't obviously have nearly the number of followers as the, the main mobs of account, but on my story and you can download their high school PE manual online and to get, I mean, first of all, we'll just completely overlook the fact that one, it's a whole bunch of like middle school or high schoolers training shirtless, which would not fly today. Two, they're categorized based on color of their shorts as to how they've done. So clearly, it's a you like upgrade shirt. shorts based on the standards yeah. you meet. Three, like two hours of treading water was like, hey, you should be able to do that. Like, I, I don't know. Again, like I, I see goodness in all of these different tests. Cool. Functional fitness is great. Deadlift, sprint track carry, got it. But like, I don't know. Cause then the counter argument is what we saw with the APFT, which was people aren't training while they're just doing, you know, running sit-ups and plus. So I, I don't know. It's a hill that I'll die on. Maybe it's just cause I love vintage military fitness. I, I will take this time real briefly. We haven't done like a full on episode about the La Sierra high school PE program, which is a tempting one to do at some point in the future. But if you, if you truly have not heard about it or are not aware of it, please like get on YouTube, watch some of the stuff. What's the name of the documentary? Uh, the Motivation Factor is a documentary. The Motivation Factor. Watch the it's, documentary. It's worth watching. Good. It gets a little weird at the end. They go down some different rabbit holes or whatever, but it talks Don't about how all. the program came to be, why it died. Short, like, spoiler alert, the reason it died was because of like parental pressures because kids felt bad about not crushing it sometimes. But but yeah, the, the highest rating is the navy blue shorts and the standards to achieve those are crazy even like white shorts which are like pretty reasonable to get into that category you can look up those standards they're pretty stout even for like fit adults stout they're very one of the stout. events is the man lift and carry for five miles the, so like peg pegboard climbs like multiple repetitions of getting up and down a pegboard man lift and carry which means you're going to put a guy on your back and run for a mile or two or whatever drew talked about the treading water um, some absolutely insane pull up and push up standards, the full ex- and you guys, uh, listeners, I challenge you to try this. I, I believe it's called a full extension push up or, or something. Basically your arms are also known as a Willan push up after Jack Willan. Yeah. Just do one. And I think to pass, to get gold, it's, it's a hundred. So it's, you it's know. pretty insane. And for people who aren't picturing it, it's, it's like, so like lay prone on the ground, like you would be doing a push up. But instead of putting your arms under your chest, put your hands straight out in front of you yeah. and like achieve enough full body tension to come off the ground. When you do that and in your head, you're, you're like, all right, I'm going to do this. There's a moment where you realize you can't do it and it's really hard. So don't try <laughs> it in front of people because you'll hit that inflection point and you'd be like, oh man. And then try to do a hundred of them. We got so off topic from the OPA and that's my fault. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, this is good. But it's, it's, it's awesome. No, that, now, I mean, you send people down. I, I think it's worth like going back and looking uh, at history. I mean, I, I, I enjoy that. I mean, you, you've probably uh, mentioned Dr. East's book before, mm-hmm. but yeah, you gotta, you know, you gotta look at it. You gotta look at, um, there's a guy and we won't go into it, but like, yeah, Dr. Ed Thomas, he's got a bunch of old stuff. If you look at some of his stuff, you know, some's a little out there. I get it. He's, he's saying history, it all defensively because he and I had a conversation after he brought Dr. Thomas onto his podcast. <sighs> Dr. Ed <laughs> Thomas. Dr. Thomas is great. Hey, he's, he's been there. He's done a lot of stuff. It's It's, true. It's it's interesting. The the Um, man has some life experience. He does. He does. Well, well, you know, the thing I'll I'll throw this out there that I would love to see come back because I I talked to some people who used his stuff to stay in the army who are now moved on to special operations. Um, and it's the, uh, the inversion, right. For the back, like they cause the traction, all like that. That was a big part of the training, the teeter, the teeter hangups and the boots and the hanging upside down and doing all those exercises. I have talked to a lot of people with, with back issues, myself included, like swear by going upside down. And like, we don't, you don't see that anywhere else. Like there's not units out there like doing it. So I think that could be something. Let's bring back some inversion training. That's all I'm saying. All the other stuff. Okay. I've had a lot of people talk to me about like, like one of the classic ones is you can't expect reserve soldiers to meet the same ACFT standard because they don't have access to the same gyms that active duty soldiers do, whatever, whatever. And we, this is something I talked to like the other master fitness trainer instructors about all the time. When, when I was teaching, there were only two PRT drills that we actually did during the course anymore. Cause we assumed they got their PRT fill from other stuff, right? Like we hammered that enough plenty in all the units. And the two we did were the climbing drills and the gorilla drill. And Neither of those require any equipment other than like you could do the climbing drills on a tree branch if you wanted to. And the gorilla drill, you need like a buddy for one of them. But for the most part, you just are rolling around on the ground, like learning to move your body effectively. And we have we have gone away from some of that stuff to it such a dangerous degree that I saw like fit, reasonably athletic, non-commissioned officers, officers, whatever coming through the course, like terrified of the prospect of doing a forward roll. And like as briefed in the course, right? A forward roll is what you should do if you're like running in kit because you're in combat and you trip and fall forward. Like you should be able to control that landing so you don't get seriously injured just by tripping. And so you look like super being cool. Able, I mean, that's also important too. And you look but, super cool. Yeah. But like what? we we forget some of this stuff. I do I do some like workouts that involve like crawling and dragging and kind of stuff or whatever in the gym and everybody thinks I'm the weirdo or whatever. But like that's stuff that so people should probably be able to do yeah i'm trying to follow the tenants man <laughs> you go you're doing the tenants i'll have some well, even, liver later even even like jumping rope I, i've seen that with with uh my students not my current uh block of students but i've had you know in, in years past like dietitian students come through and, and it's your point Alex, they can run they can meet all the standards and stuff like that they couldn't jump rope i had a whole group that like it's just they couldn't get the rhythm down i'm you gonna know, admit like, something how, mildly embarrassing here can you not um, jump rope can you not jump rope? No, I can jump. Oh, no. I can jump rope, but I'm not <laughs> oh terribly God. good. I am not terribly good at double unders. Like I can, I can oh, do well, a that's, few. That's but I can't string that's a bunch not, together. You know who? Different. You know who made fun of me for struggling with double unders? Greg Glassman. My mom. Because oh. no, well. she grew that's... up as a kid doing that stuff, and it's like a joke if you just like grew up doing it. So she's like, "Are you like, into school? fitness? Like, why do you suck at that?" Like, <laughs> Can, can you get a video of your mom making fun of you not doing double unders? <laughs> Probably, because that would be awesome. I would. 
Oh, she's yeah. like, I thought you were in shape. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Let's um, that would go viral. I want to bring you guys here. We'll work towards a close and I'll bring us back after I send us down this rabbit hole. I'll bring <laughs> us know, back. It's my fault. It's your fault, Drew. Are there any are there any stones that we have not yet turned over with the OPAT? Any comments that you guys have remaining? How do you want to how do you want to tie this up? I, I want you guys to have your 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 moment. You especially, Nick. Well, yeah. So I, I think we we've turned over the stones, but to to summarize, I think the point is with this is is understand that you know it's it's funny we joked about it, but millions of dollars were were spent on the OPAT right? Taxpayer dollars to come up with this process that failed, that didn't work. So let's remember that. Let's look at what mistakes were made so we don't do that again. So we, we save money, we save resources, and we, we have better you know, assessments or, or we, we get after these problems we're, we're trying to fix, no matter how challenging they are. That's what I got to say, Alex. And I think mine, and people have heard me say this before with the ACFT, I'm going to say it again for the OPAT, is like we, we don't want a good hearts law ourselves, right? Like make the, make the test, the objective, the test is supposed to be a screener. What matters is what you do with that information. So I think like we got to provide the resources where if somebody wants to serve and they show up at a recruiting station and they struggle with the OPAT or whatever screening tool comes next, whether it's the ACFT or something else, that those recruiters have accessible, whether it's stuff they've been trained on or resources they can pull out or whatever it is, the tools to help this person who wants to serve get to the level of fitness where they can. And we're seeing things like this with the, the future soldier prep course. It's been in the news and all these things. And it's, it's the same way I feel about ACFT with current soldiers. Everybody freaked out because they were like, Oh, if we implement the ACFT as is whichever version 2.0, 3.0, then we're going to have to kick out a quarter of the force. Like, no, you're not. Like we, our leaders have the power to decide what the policy is for what happens if you fail, like come up with a remediation process, right? Come up with some sort of system where you're, if you struggle with it, you're provided the resources or the opportunity to, to make that difference. Like when this, when this episode comes out, we will have aired the week before it one where we, we talked to Aaron Williams, who said she trained for months to get her first leg tuck. That's a good thing. Right. Like you, yes. you have led somebody to higher performance. It's not something to like, we don't need to kick everybody out. We don't need to make people embarrassed about them. We need to show them the way to get there. Right. I have like, this is going to sound cheesy or whatever during the era where like the leg tuck was looming over the army and everybody thought it was coming. And I was at Fort Jackson. I spent a ton of time teaching NCOs how to take a soldier who couldn't do a leg tuck and get them to their first leg tuck. Cause they'd grown up in this world where if you struggle with pushups, what's the solution? It's a ton of pushups. If you struggle with sit-ups, what's the solution? It's a ton of sit-ups struggle with running. Same thing. Is that optimal? Probably not, but is it going to get somebody fitter? Probably. And so all of a sudden we have this weird situation where there's a new standard and I got, you can't do one of it. So how do I get you there? And now NCOs had to learn how to coach somebody through a process of achieving a new physical standard, which sounds awesome to me. Like there's, there's a freaking plaque on my shelf over there from a group of NCOs that I ran into just like outside during one of their courses. And I'm like, Hey, you guys want to like go over this real quick. And we, we went over some progression exercises into a leg tuck, nothing impressive, nothing crazy. And like we, instead of like setting a high bar and striving for it, we insist on, I'm going to say, I've said it before, contentious, whatever we insist on 
lowering the bar until everybody can step over it. And that's a problem for our culture. Mic drop. Uh, yeah. I think gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Nick, thank you. No, thank you all. Alex, well done on the Freedom of Information Act. As we mentioned to the listeners, it was his first, but certainly not his last. And enjoy. Enjoy.